In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. May be seated. What a joy it is to be able to gather on this first Sunday after Christmas and, and celebrate a really significant um, impact of Christmas. At Christmas, says Paul, faith came. If only I could believe. My heart broke to hear those words from a college classmate after we had just finished reading Dante's Purgatorio in a humanities class. The architecture of the thought of the Christian vision is so beautiful, he said, and the hope is so radiant. If only I could believe it's true. And years of pastoral ministry have brought many repetitions of that same thought. The promise of free forgiveness is inviting, but I just can't believe that it's really free. What I've done is so bad, it's unforgivable. There's no way I could believe that God could accept me. I'd love to believe in Christ. I'd love to believe in Santa too and the tooth fairy. And personally, I don't know about you, I don't want to project on you my issues, but, but over the years I've felt in, in many sermons that I've heard, pressure and in theological treatises I've read, pressure to dig deep down inside myself to pull up enough faith to feel certain about God's love and acceptance. How much faith do I have to have to know the assurance of salvation? And sometimes, honestly, that pressure feels unbearable. But what about the prospect that the center of my faith and the center of faith for all those who fear they just can't believe or can't believe enough or can't believe accurately enough, what if the center of faith lies outside of us, not in us? What if the whole thing is a gift? What if it all is about Jesus himself? I got good news. Did these words just pass by, roll over you without making, making an impact? Galatians 3.25. But now that faith has come, what does Paul mean here? I think these are some of the most extraordinary words that Paul ever wrote. Behind them, I submit, stands a mind-blowing proposition and a most amazing sequence of events. Paul's not saying, he can't be, that faith is a new thing that only shows up in the New Testament and that faith had not been exercised before the coming of Christ. I mean, it's all the way back in Genesis that Moses writes, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Paul in the New Testament can only quote it because it was there in the first book of the Bible. And the Old Testament is full of examples of faith. So faith doesn't just show up in the New Testament. So what does Paul mean when he says, when faith came? Well, 
If anybody's ever been to a children's sermon, they know what the right answer is. It doesn't matter. It may look like a squirrel, it may be fuzzy, but the answer is Jesus. Josh Bales ran into that dynamic the other night when we had the kids up here and we, and for the Christmas pageant, and he asked them, what's the best gift you ever got at Christmas? And so what he's looking for is, oh, you know, my first Tonka toy, or I'm a Barbie. But no, the answer was, Jesus! Because it's always the right answer for a children's sermon, right? We've all been there. So, when Paul says, but when faith came, what does he mean? What is the answer? The answer is, Jesus. And that's what he spends all this, all this, this section talking about. God sending his son in the fullness of time. It's when Christ came. What Paul means is, but now that Christ has come. New Testament scholar Richard Hayes, if you want to put this in hoity-toity language, calls this a metonymy, another name for. Here, Jesus' name is faith. You see, somewhere in the councils of eternity, the second person of the Trinity, God's eternal Son, entrusted himself to the plan whereby his coming would bring us redemption. He delivered himself to a process by which he would become an embryo, infant, toddler, child, adolescent, and adult. He gave himself to the journey of learning obedience, not like us from disobedience to obedience, but from one level of obedience to another. He believed that if he surrendered himself to his betrayer, to his torturers, and to the agony of the cross, he would be vindicated and brought back from the grave. There is faith. He trusted that by his death, he would become firstborn among many brothers and sisters. He believed that his shame would give way to fame, his humiliation to glorification. In Christ, there is faith beyond anything that could ever be asked of you and me. In all of this, I think it's fair to say, Christ believed for people who couldn't or didn't know how to believe in him. He believed for doubting Thomas. He believed for precocious Peter. He believed for his haters. He believed for a countless number of people yet to be born, red and yellow, black and white. Christ believed for you. He believed for me. Praise to his name. So that's one thing. Christ believed for us. Faith came. Second, not only did he believe for us, he believes in us. Take us that takes us to today's passage from Isaiah. 
After all that Judah has done to betray Yahweh's trust, after all the guilt piled up through idolatrous worship and the toleration of injustice and selfish living in the land, after all that Judah has done fully to merit the 70 years of exile in Babylon that is ahead, still Yahweh's love pushes through. Listen again to these amazing words from today's reading in Isaiah. The nations shall see your vindication and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name, a name that the mouth of the Lord will give you. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. Then the following verses talk about how you will no longer be termed forsaken. Your land no longer be called, will be called desolate, but you shall be called, here's your new name, my delight is in her, Hephzibah, and your land married, Beulah. Why? For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be called married. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. God sees more in you than you can dare to see in yourself. This is a story I told four years ago, but it still makes the point. Tommy Lasorda, for two decades, was the manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Won four pennants, two World Series championships, and he was just a master psychologist. Well, when a young pitcher named Oral Hershiser came along, who wound up living here in Orlando, Hershiser was, well, he had a little baby face, and Lasorda sensed that he was playing below his, he was pitching below his capability because he was a little timid. So Lasorda decided he was going to give him a new name. He took him aside one day and he said, Oral Hershiser, your name no longer is Oral Hershiser. Your name is Bulldog. And I want you to get out there and I want you to pitch like a bulldog. And so this baby-faced 20-something-year-old kid goes out there and he pitches like a bulldog. And all that happens is because he's because he becomes the 1988 World Series MVP and Cy Young winner. Well, when I, caught, when I coached Little League, I loved to rename my kids. And we had a kid on the team, his name was Mitch. Mitch had a little baby face, but I sensed that there was more in him than that. So I remembered what Lasorda did for her sizer. So I took Mitch aside one day and I said, Mitch, you're not Mitch anymore, you're a bulldog. Now go out there and pitch like a bulldog. And he, tipped his cap and he went out there and pitched and a couple weeks later I catch Mitch after a game and he just looks kind of down and I said Mitch what's up what was wrong he said coach I can't be bulldog and I said well Mitch why not well coach my dad went to the University of Florida and <laughs> And I, I plan to go to the University of Florida. I can't be a bulldog because I'm a gator. And I said, okay, you know what? 
from now on, you're a gator. Go out there and pitch like a gator. And he did. Now, somebody else, even wanting to do you do well for you, do, do you good, might misname you, but God doesn't. God knows that inside you there's, well, it depends on where you're from, an inner bulldog or an inner gator or whatever. Maybe after this week, maybe an inner knight, but okay, we're not going there. I have loved for years a song that I picked up from the ministry called The Vineyard. The words go like this. I, I will change your name. You shall no longer be called wounded, outcast, lonely, or afraid. I will change your name. Your new name shall be confidence, joyfulness, faithfulness, friend of God, and one who seeks my face. I wonder what the name that you are tempted to call yourself might be. And I wonder if you might see the Lord changing that name from dirty to washed, from anxious to trusting, from loser to overcomer, from addict to liberated, from driven to contented. Christ believed for you. Christ believes in you. And third, Christ puts belief into you. The latter verses in Galatians 4, Paul talks about the Spirit being poured out upon us because of Christ having come in the, in the fullness of time. God gives you through Jesus, by the Spirit, your own ability to believe. Now, I'm a lot like Paul, who, by his own admission, couldn't find this kind of faith in himself. He found it in Jesus. Listen to these great words from 1 Timothy 1, verse 14. The grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. That faith and love that were in him flowed over to and for and in me. And so, once again at Christmas, I find myself utterly astounded that a faith I could not find within myself came for me and for so, so many others who know how hard it is to believe. For in Christ, faith comes, and then through Christ, faith comes as a gift, as Paul himself says in Ephesians 2, verse 8. And this, even your faith, is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. How many of us, how many of us find ourselves with so many reasons to disbelieve, to disbelieve. so much ugliness around us, so much ugliness we've experienced, so much ugliness we see in ourselves, how many of us nonetheless do find ourselves believing? Like 
like the disciples. Lord, where else do we have to go? I got you. And that's all I got. And even that, Paul's saying, that comes from the Lord. Praise him for it. One of the mysteries of priesthood is my job is to believe for you so that you might be prompted by his spirit to believe more, to believe more deeply. And then again, you keep me believing. And through it all, Paul says, Christ is working faith in us giving each one of us by his grace, leaning on one another, leaning on his spirit, just enough grace to go one more day. Praise be. And so thank you, Jesus, for believing for us what we could not believe for ourselves. Thank you for being the incarnate manifestation of God's own trustworthiness. Thank you for securing a salvation we could never dream up or make ourselves believe in. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being yourself the assurance of our salvation. Amen.